Chapters six and seven of the Abysmal Brute by Jack London. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter six. The consummation of his career was rapidly approaching. The great champion had even publicly intimated his readiness to take on Glendon as soon as the latter had disposed of the three or four aspirants for the championship who intervened. In six months, pat managed to put away kid mcgrath and philadelphia jack mcbride and there remained only nat powers and tom Canom. and all would have been well had not a certain society girl gone adventuring into journalism and had not stubner agreed to an interview with the woman reporter of the san francisco courier journal her work was always published over the name of maud sangster which by the way was her own name the sangsters were a notoriously wealthy family the founder old jacob sangster had packed his blankets and worked as a farmhand in the west he had discovered an inexhaustible borax deposit in nevada and from hauling it out by mule teams had built a railroad to do the freighting following that he had poured the profits of borax into the purchase of hundreds and thousands of square miles of timberlands in california oregon and washington still later he had combined politics with business bought statesmen judges and machines and become a captain of complicated industry and after that he had died full of honor and pessimism leaving his name a muddy blot for future historians to smudge and also leaving a matter of a couple of hundreds of millions for his four sons to squabble over the legal industrial and political battles that followed vexed and amused california for a generation and culminated in deadly hatred and unspeaking terms between the four sons the youngest theodore in middle life experienced a change of heart sold out his stock farms and racing stables and plunged into a fight with all the corrupt powers of his native state including most of its millionaires in a quixotic attempt to purge it of the infamy which had been implanted by old jacob sangster maud sangster was theodore's oldest daughter the sangster stock uniformly bred fighters among the men and beauties among the women nor was maud an exception also she must have inherited some of the virus of adventure from the sangster breed for she had come to womanhood and done a multitude of things of which no woman in her position should have been guilty a match in ten thousand she remained unmarried she had sojourned in europe without bringing home a nobleman for spouse and had declined a goodly portion of her own set at home she had gone in for outdoor sports won the tennis championship of the state kept the society weeklies agog with her unconventionalities walked from san mateo to santa cruz against time on a wager and once caused a sensation by playing polo in a men's team at a private burlingame practice game incidentally she had gone in for art and maintained a studio in san francisco's latin quarter all this had been of little moment until her father's reform attack became acute 
passionately independent never yet having met the man to whom she could gladly submit and bored by those who had aspired she resented her father's interference with her way of life and put the climax on all her social misdeeds by leaving home and going to work on the courier journal beginning at twenty dollars a week her salary had swiftly risen to fifty her work was principally musical dramatic and art criticism although she was not above mere journalistic stunts if they promised to be sufficiently interesting thus she scooped the big interview with morgan at a time when he was being futilely trailed by a dozen new york star journalists went down to the bottom of the golden gate in a diver's suit and flew with rude the birdman when he broke all records of continuous flight by reaching as far as riverside now it must not be imagined that maud sangster was a hard-bitten amazon on the contrary she was a gray-eyed slender young woman of three or four and twenty of medium stature and possessing uncommonly small hands and feet for an outdoor woman or any other kind of woman also far in excess of most outdoor women she knew how to be daintily feminine it was on her own suggestion that she received the editor's commission to interview pat glendon with the exception of having caught a glimpse once of bob fitzsimmons in evening dress at the palace grill she had never seen a prize-fighter in her life nor was she curious to see one at least she had not been curious until young pat glendon came to san francisco to train for his fight with nat powers then his newspaper reputation had aroused her the abysmal brute it certainly must be worth seeing from what she read of him she gleaned that he was a man monster profoundly stupid and with the sullenness and ferocity of a jungle beast true his published photographs did not show all that but they did show the hugeness of brawn that might be expected to go with it and so accompanied by a staff photographer she went out to the training quarters at the cliff house on the hour appointed by stubner the real estate owner was having trouble pat was rebellious he sat one big leg dangling over the side of the armchair and shakespeare sonnets face downward on his knee orating against the new woman what do they want to come butting into the game for he demanded it's not their place what do they know about it anyway the men are bad enough as it is i'm not a holy show this woman's coming here to make me one i never have stood for women around the training quarters and i don't care if she is a reporter but she's not an ordinary reporter stubner interposed you've heard of the sangsters the millionaires pat nodded well she's one of them she's high society and all that stuff she could be running with the blingham crowd now if she wanted to instead of working for wages her old man's worth fifty millions if he's worth a cent then what's she working on a paper for keeping some poor devil out of a job she and the old man fell out had a tiff or something about the time he started to clean up san francisco she quit that's all left home and got a job and let me tell you one thing pat she can everlastingly sling english there isn't a pen-pusher on the coast can touch her when she gets going pat began to show interest and stubner hurried on 
she writes poetry too the regular la-di-da stuff just like you only i guess hers is better because she published a whole book of it once and she writes up the shows she interviews every big actor that hits this burg i've seen her name in the papers pat commented sure you have and you're honored pat by her coming to interview you it won't bother you any i'll stick right by and give her most of the dope myself you know i've always done that pat looked his gratitude and another thing pat don't forget you've got to put up with this interviewing it's part of your business it's big advertising and it comes free we can't buy it it interests people draws the crowds and it's crowds that pile up the gate receipts he stopped and listened then looked at his watch i think that's her now i'll go and get her and bring her in i'll tip it off to her to cut it short you know and it won't take long he turned in the doorway and be decent pat don't shut up like a clam talk a bit to her when she asks you questions pat put the sonnets on the table took up a newspaper and was apparently deep in its contents when the two entered the room and he stood up the meeting was a mutual shock when blue eyes met gray it was almost as if the man and the woman shouted triumphantly to each other as if each had found something sought and unexpected but this was for the instant only each had anticipated in the other something so totally different that the next moment the clear cry of recognition gave way to confusion as is the way of women she was the first to achieve control and she did it without having given any outward signal that she had ever lost it she advanced most of the distance across the floor to meet glendon as for him he scarcely knew how he stumbled through the introduction here was a woman a woman he had not known that such a creature could exist the few women he had noticed had never prefigured this he wondered what old pat's judgment would have been of her if she was the sword he had recommended to hang on to with both his hands he discovered that in some way he was holding her hand he looked at it curious and fascinated marveling at its fragility she on the other hand had proceeded to obliterate the echoes of that first clear call it had been a peculiar experience that was all this sudden outrush of her toward this strange man for was not he the abysmal brute of the prize ring the great fighting stupid bulk of a male animal who hammered up his fellow males in the same stupid order she smiled at the way he continued to hold her hand i'll have it back please mr glendon she said i-i really need it you know he looked at her blankly followed her gaze to her imprisoned hand and dropped it in a rush of awkwardness that sent the blood in a manifest blush to his face she noted the blush and the thought came to her that he did not seem quite the uncouth brute she had pictured she could not conceive of a brute blushing at anything and also she found herself pleased with the fact that he lacked the easy glibness to murmur an apology but the way he devoured her with his eyes was disconcerting he stared at her as if in a trance while his cheeks flushed even more redly stubner by this time had fetched a chair for her 
and glendon automatically sank down into his he's in fine shape miss sangster in fine shape the manager was saying that's right isn't it pat never felt better in your life glendon was bothered by this his brows contracted in a troubled way and he made no reply i've wanted to meet you for a long time mr glendon miss sangster said i never interviewed a pugilist before so if i don't go about it expertly you'll forgive me i'm sure maybe you'd better start in by seeing him in action was the manager's suggestion while he's getting into his fighting togs i can tell you a lot about him fresh stuff too we'll call in walsh pat and go a couple of rounds we'll do nothing of the sort glendon growled roughly in just the way an abysmal brute should go ahead with the interview the business went ahead unsatisfactorily stubner did most of the talking and suggesting which was sufficient to irritate maud sangster while pat volunteered nothing she studied his fine countenance the eyes clear blue and wide apart the well-modelled almost aquiline nose the firm chaste lips that were sweet in a masculine way in their curl at the corners and that gave no hint of any sullenness it was a baffling personality she concluded if what the paper said of him was so in vain she sought for earmarks of the brute and in vain she attempted to establish contacts for one thing she knew too little about prize-fighters and the ring and whenever she opened up a lead it was promptly snatched away by the information oozing stubner it must be most interesting this life of a pugilist she said once adding with a sigh i wish i knew more about it tell me why do you fight oh aside from money reasons this latter to forestall stubner do you enjoy fighting are you stirred by it by pitting yourself against other men i hardly know how to express what i mean so you must be patient with me pat and stubner began speaking together but for once pat bore his manager down i didn't care for it at first you see it was too dead easy for him stubner interrupted but later pat went on when i encountered the better fighters the real big clever ones where i was more on your mettle she suggested yes that's it more on my mettle i found i did care for it a great deal in fact but still it's not so absorbing to me as it might be you see while each battle is a sort of a problem which i must work out with my wits and muscle yet to me the issue is never in doubt he's never had a fight go to a decision stubner proclaimed he's won every battle by the knockout route and it's this certainty of the outcome that robs it of what i imagine must be its finest thrills pat concluded maybe you'll get some of them thrills when you go up against jim hanford said the manager pat smiled but did not speak tell me some more she urged more about the way you feel when you are fighting and then pat amazed his manager miss sangster and himself by blurting out it seems to me i don't want to talk with you on such things it's as if there are things more important for you and me to talk about i he stopped abruptly aware of what he was saying but unaware of why he was saying it yes she cried eagerly 
that's it this is what makes a good interview the real personality you know but pat remained tongue-tied and stubner wandered away on a statistical comparison of his champion's weights measurements and expansions with those of sandow the terrible turk jeffries and the other modern strong men this was of little interest to maud sangster and she showed that she was bored her eyes chanced to rest on the sonnets she picked the book up and glanced inquiringly at stubner that's pat's he said he goes in for that kind of stuff and color photography and art exhibits and such things but for heaven's sakes don't publish anything about it it would ruin his reputation she looked accusingly at glendon who immediately became awkward to her it was delicious a shy young man with the body of a giant who was one of the kings of bruisers and who read poetry and went to art exhibits and experimented with color photography of a surety there was no abysmal brute here his very shyness she divined now was due to sensitiveness and not stupidity shakespeare's sonnets this was a phase that would bear investigation but stubner stole the opportunity away and was back chanting his everlasting statistics a few minutes later and most unwittingly she opened up the biggest lead of all that first sharp attraction toward him had begun to stir again after the discovery of the sonnets the magnificent frame of his the handsome face the chaste lips the clear-looking eyes the fine forehead which the short crop of blond hair did not hide the aura of physical well-being and cleanness which he seemed to emanate all this and more that she sensed drew her as she had never been drawn by any man and yet through her mind kept running the nasty rumors that she had heard only the day before at the courier journal office you were right she said there is something more important to talk about there is something in my mind i want you to reconcile for me do you mind pat shook his head if i am frank abominably frank i've heard that men sometimes talking of particular fights and of the betting odds and while i gave no heed to it at the time it seemed to me it was firmly agreed that there was a great deal of trickery and cheating connected with the sport now when i look at you for instance i find it hard to understand how you can be a party to such cheating i can understand your liking the sport for a sport as well as for the money it brings you but i can't understand there's nothing to understand stubner broke in while pat's lips were wreathed in a gentle tolerant smile it's all fairy tales this talk about faking about fixed fights and all that rot there's nothing to it miss sangster i assure you and now let me tell you about how i discovered mr glendon it was a letter i got from his father but maud sangster refused to be sidetracked and addressed herself to pat listen i remember one case particularly it was some fight that took place several months ago i forget the contestants one of the editors of the courier journal told me he intended to make a good winning he didn't hope he said he intended he said he was on the inside and was betting on the number of rounds 
he told me the fight would end in the nineteenth this was the night before and the next day he triumphantly called my attention to the fact that it had ended in that very round i didn't think anything of it one way or the other i was not interested in prize-fighting then but i am now at the time it seemed quite in accord with the vague conception i had about fighting so you see it isn't all fairy tales is it i know that fight glendon said it was owen and mergweather and it did end in the nineteenth round sam and she said she heard that round named the day before how do you account for it sam how do you account for a man picking a lucky lottery ticket the manager evaded while getting his wits together to answer that's the very point men who study form and condition and seconds and rules and such things often pick the number of rounds just as men have been known to pick hundred to one shots in the races and don't forget one thing for every man that wins there's another that loses there's another that didn't pick right miss sangster i assure you on my honor that faking and fixing in the fight game is is non-existent what's your opinion mr glendon she asked the same as mine stubner snatched the answer he knows what i say is true every word of it he's never fought anything but a straight fight in his life isn't that right pat yes it's right pat affirmed and the peculiar thing to maud sangster was that she was convinced he spoke the truth she brushed her forehead with her hand as if to rid herself of the bepuzzlement that clouded her brain listen she said last night the same editor told me that your forthcoming fight was arranged to the very round in which it would end stubner was verging on a panic but pat's speech saved him from replying then the editor lies pat's voice boomed now for the first time he did not lie before about that other fight she challenged what round did he say my fight with nat powers would end in before she could answer the manager was into the thick of it oh rats pat he cried shut up it's only the regular run of ring rumors let's get on with this interview he was ignored by glendon whose eyes bent on hers were no longer mildly blue but harsh and imperative she was sure now that she had stumbled on something tremendous something that would explain all that had baffled her at the same time she thrilled to the mastery of his voice and gaze here was a male man who would take hold of life and shake out of it what he wanted what round did the editor say glendon reiterated his demand for the love of mike pat stop this foolishness stubner broke in i wish you would give me a chance to answer maud sangster said i guess i'm able to talk with miss sangster glendon added you get out sam go off and take care of that photographer they looked at each other for a tense silent moment then the manager moved slowly to the door opened it and turned his head to listen and now what round did he say i hope i haven't made a mistake she said tremulously but i am very sure that he said the sixteenth round she saw surprise and anger leap into glendon's face 
and the anger and accusation in the glance he cast at his manager and she knew the blow had driven home and there was reason for his anger he knew he had talked it over with stubner and they had reached a decision to give the audience a good run for its money without unnecessarily prolonging the fight and to end it in the sixteenth and here was a woman from a newspaper office naming the very round stubner in the doorway looked limp and pale and it was evident he was holding himself together by an effort i'll see you later pat told him shut the door behind you the door closed and the two were left alone glendon did not speak the expression on his face was frankly one of trouble and perplexity well she asked he got up and towered above her then sat down again moistening his lips with his tongue i'll tell you one thing he finally said the fight won't end in the sixteenth round she did not speak but her unconvinced and quizzical smile hurt him you wait and see miss sangster and you'll see that editor man is mistaken you mean the program is to be changed she queried audaciously he quivered to the cut of her words i am not accustomed to lying he said stiffly even to women neither have you to me nor have you denied the program is to be changed perhaps mr glendon i am stupid but i fail to see the difference in what number the final round occurs so long as it is predetermined and known i'll tell you that round and not another soul shall know she shrugged her shoulders and smiled it sounds to me very much like a racing tip they are always given that way you know furthermore i am not quite stupid and i know there is something wrong here why were you made angry by my naming the round why were you angry with your manager why did you send him from the room for reply glendon walked over to the window as if to look out where he changed his mind and partly turned and she knew without seeing that he was studying her face he came back and sat down you said i haven't lied to you miss sangster and you were right i haven't he paused groping painfully for a correct statement of the situation now do you think you can believe what i'm going to tell you will you take the word of a prize-fighter she nodded gravely looking him straight in the eyes and certain that what he was about to tell was the truth i've always fought straight and square i've never touched a piece of dirty money in my life nor attempted a dirty trick now i can go on from that you've shaken me up pretty badly by what you told me i don't know what to make of it i can't pass a snap judgment on it i don't know but it looks bad that's what troubles me for see you stubner and i have talked this fight over and it was understood between us that i would end the fight in the sixteenth round now you bring the same word how did that editor know not from me stubner must have let it out and unless he stopped to debate the problem unless that editor is a lucky guesser i can't make up my mind about it 
I'll have to keep my eyes open and wait and learn. Every word I've given you is straight, and there's my hand on it. Again he towered out of his chair and over to her. Her small hand was gripped in his big one as she arose to meet him, and after a fair, straight look into the eyes between them, both glanced unconsciously at the clasped hands. She felt that she had never been more aware that she was a woman. The sex emphasis of those two hands, the soft and fragile feminine, and the heavy, muscular masculine, was startling. Glendon was the first to speak. You could be hurt so easily, he said, and at the same time she felt the firmness of his grip almost caressingly relax. She remembered the old Prussian king's love for giants, and laughed at the incongruity of the thought association as she withdrew her hand. I am glad you came here today, he said, then hurried on awkwardly to make an explanation which the warm light of admiration in his eyes belied. I mean because maybe you have opened my eyes to the crooked dealing that has been going on. You have surprised me, she urged. It seemed to me that it is so generally understood that prize-fighting is full of crookedness that I cannot understand how you, one of its chief exponents, could be ignorant of it. I thought, as a matter of course, that you would know all about it, and now you have convinced me that you never dreamed of it. You must be different from other fighters. He nodded his head. That explains it, I guess, and that's what comes of keeping away from it, from the other fighters and promoters and sports. It was easy to pull the wool over my eyes, yet it remains to be seen whether it really has been pulled over or not. You see, I'm going to find out for myself. And change it? she queried, rather breathlessly, convinced somehow that he could do anything he set out to accomplish. No, quit it, was his answer. If it isn't straight, I won't have anything more to do with it. And one thing is certain, this coming fight with Nat Powers won't end in the sixteenth round. If there is any truth in that editor's tip, they'll all be fooled. Instead of putting him out in the sixteenth, I'll let the fight run on into the twenties. You wait and see. And I'm not to tell the editor? She was on her feet now, preparing to go. Certainly not. If he is only guessing, let him take his chances. And if there's anything rotten about it, he deserves to lose all he bets. This is to be a little secret between you and me. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll name the round to you. It won't run into the twenties. I'll stop Nat Powers in the eighteenth. And I'll not whisper it, she assured him. I'd like to ask you a favor, he said tentatively. Maybe it's a big favor. She showed her acquiescence in her face, as if it were already granted and he went on. Of course, I know you won't use this faking in the interview, but I want more than that. I don't want you to publish anything at all. She gave him a quick look with her searching gray eyes, then surprised herself by her answer. Certainly, she said. It will not be published. I won't write a line of it. I knew it, he said simply. 
for the moment she was disappointed by the lack of thanks and the next moment she was glad that he had not thanked her she sensed the different foundation he was building under this meeting of an hour with her and she became daringly explorative how did you know it she asked i don't know he shook his head i can't explain it i knew it as a matter of course somehow it seems to me i know a lot about you and me but why not publish the interview as your manager says it is good advertising i know it he answered slowly but i don't want to know you that way i think it would hurt if you should publish it i don't want to think that i knew you professionally i'd like to remember our talk here as a talk between a man and a woman i don't know whether you understand what i'm driving at but it's the way i feel i want to remember this just as a man and a woman as he spoke in his eyes was all the expression with which a man looks at a woman she felt the force and beat of him and she felt strangely tongue-tied and awkward before this man who had been reputed tongue-tied and awkward he could certainly talk straighter to the point and more convincingly than most men and what struck her most forcibly was her own inborn certainty that it was mere naive and simple frankness on his part and not a practised artfulness he saw her into her machine and gave her another thrill when he said good-bye once again their hands were clasped as he said some day i'll see you again i want to see you again somehow i have a feeling that the last word has not been said between us as the machine rolled away she was aware of a similar feeling she had not seen the last of this very disquieting pat glendon king of the bruisers and abysmal brute back in the training quarters glendon encountered his perturbed manager what did you fire me out for stubner demanded we're finished a hell of a mess you've made you've never stood for meeting a reporter alone before and now you'll see when that interview comes out glendon who had been regarding him with cool amusement made as if to turn and pass on and then changed his mind it won't come out he said stubner looked up sharply i ask her not to glendon explained then stubner exploded as if she'd kill a juicy thing like that glendon became very cold and his voice was harsh and grating it won't be published she told me so and to doubt it is to call her a liar the irish flame was in his eyes and by that and by the unconscious clenching of his passion-wrought hands stubner who knew the strength of them and of the man he faced no longer dared to doubt chapter seven it did not take stubner long to find out that glendon intended extending the distance of the fight though try as he would he could get no hint of the number of the round he wasted no time however and privily clinched certain arrangements with nat powers and nat powers's manager powers had a faithful following of betters 
and the betting syndicate was not to be denied its harvest on the night of the fight maud sangster was guilty of a more daring unconventionality than any she had yet committed though no whisper of it leaked out to shock society under the protection of the editor she occupied a ringside seat her hair and most of her face were hidden under a slouch hat while she wore a man's long overcoat that fell to her heels entering in the thick of the crowd she was not noticed nor did the newspaper men in the press seats against the ring directly in front of her recognize her as was the growing custom there were no preliminary bouts and she had barely gained her seat when roars of applause announced the arrival of nat powers he came down the aisle in the midst of a seconds and she was almost frightened by the formidable bulk of him yet he leaped the ropes as lightly as a man half his weight and grinned acknowledgment to the tumultuous greeting that arose from all the house he was not pretty two cauliflower ears attested his profession and its attendant brutality while his broken nose had been so often spread over his face as to defy the surgeon's art to reconstruct it another uproar heralded the arrival of glendon and she watched him eagerly as he went through the ropes to his corner but it was not until the tedious time of announcements introductions and challenges was over that the two men threw off their wraps and faced each other in ring costume concentrated upon them from overhead was the white glare of many electric lights this for the benefit of the moving picture cameras and she felt as she looked at the two sharply contrasted men that it was in glendon that she saw the thoroughbred and in powers the abysmal brute both looked their parts glendon clean-cut in face and form softly and massively beautiful powers almost asymmetrically rugged and heavily matted with hair as they made their preliminary pose for the cameras confronting each other in fighting attitudes it chanced that glendon's gaze dropped down through the ropes and rested on her face though he gave no sign she knew with a swift leap of the heart that he had recognized her the next moment the gong sounded the announcer cried let her go and the battle was on it was a good fight there was no blood no marring and both were clever half of the first round was spent in feeling each other out but maud sangster found the play and feint and tap of the gloves sufficiently exciting during some of the fiercer rallies in later stages of the fight the editor was compelled to touch her arm to remind her who she was and where she was powers fought easily and cleanly as became the hero of half a hundred ring battles and an admiring clack applauded his every cleverness yet he did not unduly exert himself save in occasional strenuous rallies that brought the audience yelling to its feet in the mistaken notion that he was getting his man it was at such a moment when her unpractised eye could not inform her that glendon was escaping serious damage that the editor leaned to her and said young pat will win all right he's a comer and they can't stop him 
but he'll win in the sixteenth and not before or after she asked she almost laughed at the certitude of her companion's negative she knew better powers was noted for hunting his man from moment to moment and round to round and glendon was content to accede to this program his defence was admirable and he threw in just enough of offence to whet the edge of the audience's interest though he knew he was scheduled to lose powers had had too long a ring experience to hesitate from knocking his man out if the opportunity offered he had had the double cross worked too often on him to be chary in working it on others if he got his chance he was prepared to knock his man out and let the syndicate go hang thanks to clever press publicity the idea was prevalent that at last young glendon had met his master in his heart powers however knew that it was himself who had encountered the better man more than once in the faster infighting he received the weight of punches that he knew had been deliberately made no heavier on glendon's part there were times and times when a slip or error of judgment could have exposed him to one of his antagonist's sledgehammer blows and lost him the fight yet his was that almost miraculous power of accurate timing and distancing and his confidence was not shaken by the several close shaves he experienced he had never lost a fight never been knocked down and he had always been so thoroughly the master of the man he faced that such a possibility was unthinkable at the end of the fifteenth round both men were in good condition though powers was breathing a trifle heavily and there were men in the ringside seats offering odds that he would blow up it was just before the gong for the sixteenth round struck that stubner leaning in over glendon from behind in his corner whispered are you going to get him now glendon with a back toss of his head shook it and laughed mockingly up into his manager's anxious face with a stroke of the gong for the sixteenth round glendon was surprised to see powers cut loose from the first second it was a tornado of fighting and glendon was hard put to escape serious damage he blocked clinched ducked sidestepped was rushed backward against the ropes and was met by fresh rushes when he surged out to centre several times powers left inviting openings but glendon refused to loose the lightning bolt of a blow that would drop his man he was reserving that blow for two rounds later not in the whole fight had he ever exerted his full strength nor struck with the force that was in him for two minutes without the slightest let-up powers went at him hammer and tongs in another minute the round would be over and the betting syndicate hard hit but that minute was not to be they had just come together in the centre of the ring it was as ordinary a clinch as any in the fight save that powers was struggling and roughing it every instant glendon whipped his left over in a crisp but easy jolt to the side of the face it was like any of a score of similar jolts he had already delivered in the course of the fight to his amazement he felt powers go limp in his arms and begin sinking to the floor on sagging spraddling legs that refused to bear his weight he struck the floor with a thump rolled half over on his side 
and lay with closed eyes and motionless the referee bending over him was shouting the count at the cry of nine powers quivered as if making a vain effort to rise ten and out cried the referee he caught glendon's hand and raised it aloft to the roaring audience in token that he was the winner for the first time in the ring glendon was dazed it had not been a knockout blow he could stake his life on that it had not been to the jaw but to the side of the face and he knew it had gone there and nowhere else yet the man was out had been counted out and he had faked it beautifully that final thump on the floor had been a convincing masterpiece to the audience it was indubitably a knockout and the moving picture machines would perpetuate the lie the editor had called the turn after all and a crooked turn it was glendon shot a swift glance through the ropes to the face of maud sangster she was looking straight at him but her eyes were bleak and hard and there was neither recognition nor expression in them even as he looked she turned away unconcernedly and said something to the man beside her powers's seconds were carrying him to his corner a seeming limp wreck of a man glendon's seconds were advancing upon him to congratulate him and to remove his gloves but stubner was ahead of them his face was beaming as he caught glendon's right glove in both his hands and cried good boy pat i knew you'd do it glendon pulled his glove away and for the first time in the years they had been together his manager heard him swear you go to hell he said and turned to hold out his hands for his seconds to pull off the gloves end of chapters six and seven